0: Unmask the supernatural, explore the history and future of
1: parapsychology, analyze legends and folklore, and welcome entertaining and informative guests as they probe irresistible mysteries that continue to haunt us. They may not always agree, in fact they won't, but the Dueling Parapsychologists provide an investigative podcast that's not afraid to seek the truth and separate nonsense. With your hosts, Elliot Van Dusen and Daryl Walsh, welcome to the Dueling Parapsychologist Podcast.
2: Going to be a good day, don't you think? I think so. We have three guests lined up. Yep. And we're going to learn about demonology. And it's not the type that, you know, students usually do, teenagers usually do with the black candles and and the pentagrams and all this kind of stuff. It's nothing to do with that. It also has nothing to do with uh, the people that like to shock everybody by saying, oh, I'm a Satanist or, uh, you know, Um, I'm a demon or whatever, like Donston Stevenson, for instance, during the Jack the Ripper uh, phase. And nor are we going to do the Church of Satan type of crap where it's essentially a cult and it's devised to be just sex. And um, all these little made-up religions, that's all it is about anyway. Um, And so it would be nice to actually talk to somebody who, you know, claims that, you know, they've, um, you know, seen demons and evidence of demons and this kind of thing. So, um, I'm really kind of on that. And so it'll be kind of good to see what they have to say and if they'll change my mind or not.
1: Yeah, it will be interesting. Yeah. So today's guest we have, uh, James Anito. He's a deacon and a demonologist in Rhode Island. Uh, we also have, uh, Carol Johnson, who is another demonologist who has, almost 50 years uh, paranormal investigative experience. And then we have Elise uh, Carlson, who is fairly new to investigating the paranormal, but she is on the right track. And uh, I think you guys will find this one very entertaining. All right, everyone. So uh, welcome to the Dueling Parapsychologist podcast. And uh, we're here with uh, James Anito and uh, Carl Johnson and uh, Elise uh, Carlson. who are all paranormal investigators and james is a deacon and demonologist and uh, carol is also a demonologist so we'll start with you james uh why don't you just give us a little bit of your background and tell us uh, what got you into this field
0: um
3: so you know to keep it short and sweet because i do have two other great people with me as well uh basically what got me into paranormal investigating was uh the search and the answer if god does exist and what is god because I had a a very traumatic childhood that when I was adopted, I was raised by a Lutheran family that would go to church every Sunday. And I started to realize, you know, I hear God is good, God does this. And then I'm like, why would this happen to me at four years old? Why would I get abandoned? And all these issues started lingering in my head. So it started really opening a chapter in my life where I started becoming you would call it agnostic. And basically the search for god um, and you know the study of theology anthropology and all that other stuff kind of got me involved and um, brought me to the answer do ghosts and spirits and angels and demons and all does this exist maybe this would help me come up with a better idea if god existed and of course you know ghost hunters which carl was a part of and many other shows that predate that, like Scariest Places on Earth and all, uh, even Scooby-Doo that had some kind of um, for, formulaic uh, realm on the paranormal investigating aspect kind of kind of um, entangled me and brought me in, especially being from Rhode Island and seeing the ghost under guys. And being 15 years old, I was like, I'm going to do this. And we started going out with friends and we thought it was cool. It was kind of really, it was like a kind of a, a lot of different components that got me involved in it to this day. And 16 years later now this year.
1: (laughs) Wow. And uh, Carl, you used to uh, do some television. Uh, You were on the television show Ghost Hunters and uh, you're co-founder with Elise um, with uh, Panorama Paranormal. And you're also a demonologist. How did you get into this field?
0: I think it stemmed from having grown up in a haunted house and always liking strange things, shadowy. Halloween was my favorite holiday. But i just happened to grow up in a house that had paranormal activity uh which of course we couldn't explain so we said the ghost the ghost of the house took it the ghost moved that and uh became a source of amusement well my father didn't find it very amusing but my mother and we children did and then my sister and i started to play on a spirit board the ouija board and so that uh, that seemed to open up more doors because the paranormal activity in the house only increased Uh we would hear knocks and rappings. That was commonplace to see dishes just were suddenly where they shouldn't be. You know, doors would open and close, and then do it again. So do it again and do it. And um I started to see the what would I say, the form, the apparition of a woman in my parents' basement. I think that had something to do with the spirit board play. I mean, it seems to be the connection, but we would always hear rummaging around and moving. We used the basement for storage, basically. And we would hear chairs moving. And then and we'd go down there in the morning. The dehumidifier would be on the other side of the floor and chairs would be inverted. My mother said, I think you kids came down here and did. it." I said, Mom, I, I didn't do that. Well, you don't remember doing it. <clears throat> so I gave an explanation. But then I decided to move my bedroom down there just, just to have the space and all that. Nice, dank basement. I fixed it up as my room. I was uh, 15 when I started doing that, 16 when I moved down there, and uh, it wasn't too long before the, the noises kept coming. So, oh, now it's happening, and I'm down here, and uh, well, the noises were starting to shuffle, and so I stood up, looked, and then I saw the form of a woman, a solid-looking woman walk across the floor in my direction, but then went off to the side, and she just disappeared to where the curtains were. So I said, oh my, be glory. <laughs> I saw her, oh, like I think uh, three times I saw her down there. Maybe four times if you count. One time I, was, I just saw her shadow pass by, but I, I saw something solid. So yeah, uh, that I couldn't help but be interested in the paranormal, these things happening. It you know, was scary because you didn't know when it was going to happen, but I would miss it if it hadn't, you know, if it went away. I didn't want it to go. So I became a paranormal investigator. I started to toy around with that, tried different experiments for calling forth the spirit by the time I was 16 years of age. Uh, When I was 17, I had the fortune, I suppose it was the fortune to become acquainted with Ed and Lorraine Warren. I saw them advertised. They were presenting a lecture at Rhode Island college in Providence. So I attended that. Um, Ed, Ed Warren had a, question and answer, you know, like, well, how many of you out there have ever seen a ghost? How many of you talked on a spirit boat? you know, so I'm raising my hand, come up here, young man. So I became part of the lecture. And uh, that evening there was a group based at Rhode Island College called Power Parapsychological Investigatory and Research Organization. And they were the ones who put on the lecture invited the Warrens. And uh, after I got up there and spoke, they said, oh, listen, we'd like to talk with you. Would you come to our meeting? So I became a member of their group based at Rhode Island College. And our first residential case happened to be a little old farmhouse in Harrisville called Round Top. And uh, 40 years after, that became the subject of a major motion picture, The Conjuring. And it was Pyro who was responsible for bringing in Ed and Lorraine Warren to that case. So that's it in a nutshell. How could it not be interested in the paranormal? Yeah. I, I'd have to just totally dislike it. Uh, the discovery the thrill of it you know unexpected and always more questions than answers
1: that's really interesting you you uh, shared a photograph with me uh, a picture of you in, in your younger days with uh, lorraine warren was that at the conjuring house
0: that was yes that was the first time that ed and lorraine warren came to the house the Roundtop farm the conjuring house Of course, it wasn't called that then. And uh, I was actually helping Carolyn Perrin, the lady of the house, give them the tour because I was familiar with the layout of the house. I was saying, this is a hot spot. I experienced this or that here. And so that's me with the the case manager for our team, the president of Pyro, uh, Donna is next to me. And then the elegant Lorraine Warren and Carolyn Perrin. And that photograph her face is kind of uh, washed out because it was an old Polaroid. So I was always attracted to this dark side because it seemed more mysterious. If it's scaring people, you know, if they say they have a problem with this ghost, if it's bothering the family, there's got to be something interesting about this, you know, uh, it's not a predictable spirit. So I don't just, it always called me demonology, even before I called it, that was calling to me. And that first case was the, the parent house. So that's me when I was 18 years of age in the basement of, of Round Top Farm, which of course is still there. Um, Elise, how did you end up getting into the uh, the paranormal?
4: We were much less involved in these two. I used to just like watching it on TV. Growing up as a child in the 70s, we had In Search Of Mm with Leonard Nimoy. Every week it was something awesome, Uh, whether it was ESP or the Loch Ness Monster or uh, UFOs. I was particularly interested in Oak Island. Mm -hmm. I would read every book I could get about all these different subjects. And then, as you get older, life gets in the way. I ended up going to college, getting a job, raising children, the house, the whole nine yards. Now the kids are grown and I'm at home and I'm still interested in these things. Now everyone's on TV with a show, uh, you know, there's dozens of shows to choose from. And I'm like, hey, why am I not doing this? So I started out going on some public investigations with a group in Rhode Island. And I had my first experience with that group. Um, Didn't see it happen. I actually got hit in the head during an investigation with something. So I always say, you don't have to hit me over the head to make me believe in a ghost. And um, then Carl came to my historical society. I'm actually very interested in history. I run an historical society in Johnston. And uh, he, as an employee of Slater Mill, came to talk about the mill with my members. And my president at the time said, hey, by the way, he likes that ghost stuff like you do. And so does his brother. So we started talking, went out for coffee, found out we had a lot of uh, ideas in common. Um, You know, by the time you watch all these shows and you start reading a lot of things for yourself, you start developing your own ideas and you don't believe in everything and you have theories of your own. And we talked about it and we formed a small little group this way I know he's not going to lie to me. I'm not going to lie to him. What we saw, what we heard, uh, what we think about it, and uh, paran- panorama, paranormal is gone.
1: That's really interesting. Um, there's a lot of when really? you mentioned Oak Island because Oak Island is uh, here in Nova Scotia. Yes. Uh, so we're very familiar with that. Um, we also had uh, the 1967 Shag Harbor UFO crash here in Nova Scotia, which yes. is... Uh, and kind of nicknamed Canada's Roswell. so mm-hmm. uh, we've also had um, two but some would argue three uh, of the biggest poltergeist cases uh, in Canada. We had the Esther Cox, uh, also known as the Great Amherst mystery. Um, we also had uh, a case in Windsor um, which is uh, less known and there's some talk about that being fraud and trickery. and we're reinvestigating it now, even though it's a hundred and some odd years ago. It is. Yeah. But there's uh, it's really interesting though. It had like coin showing up and like different things happening. And I don't know if it was completely fake, um, for sure. And then the last one is called Caledonia mills or the, uh, the spook farm or the fire spook farm, um, which was in a little town called Caledonia mills. And, uh, one night they had 34 fires break out, um, uh, in the house. So, uh, so, you know, we're, we're really lucky to be in Nova Scotia to have these kind of, these kind of stories. Um, so, uh, Daryl, do, do you have any questions for James, Carol, or Elise?
2: Uh, Carol, I think. Um, describe a little bit more about the, uh, the ghost you saw in your basement.
0: Well, it was remarkable because at first I didn't know this was a ghost. I'm saying for the first two, three seconds I'm observing her because it seemed like a solid person. I'm saying, who the heck is down here? Is so she
2: I'm- here? Or did, did you walk somewhere and then all of a sudden you saw a person?
0: I was standing next to my bed, uh, getting ready to go to bed or do some reading. And then I saw there's a person. I heard the shuffling around. Bang, bang, boom, boom, chair sliding or something's up here. So naturally, I turned to look and became silent. That's when I saw her. She kind of emerged out of the corner of the room. I didn't know how long she'd been there, but I thought there's a solid person here. She starts walking towards me. The eeriest aspect of this manifestation was that when she walked, there was no sound, no footfalls. That's what scared me. That's what spooked me. When she started walking. Sound, you could see her gait, but there was no sound to it. And she was dressed in old-fashioned clothing, like Finch's clothing, apparel from a century before maybe. And, uh, you know, cinched at the waist. She had her hair back up and uh, kind of a bun. And other than looking as if she had lived 100 years ago and not supposed to feed down there. She was uh, otherwise looked like a living person. She glided towards me, and I just watched her go by. That was something so scary. I mean, seeing what was obviously a ghost was unsettling enough, but to actually see someone float by or walk by you, and she's not making any sound, that was scary. She's just walking. So I fumbled for the light and got that on. It was is my parents' house. I told my mom about it. And uh, she, she believed me until the next morning. And uh, so I saw her three times that way. She's, the third time she was standing next to my bed. You know, I just laid down. My grandfather at the time was convalescing from his, his spine was to calcify. And he's very elderly. So I was helping him out. And I just come back down and said, oh, man, maybe I'll try to get back to sleep. And uh, so it was dawn at this time. And I looked. And there's someone standing next to my bed. So I just reflexively, I'm, I'm leaning on my elbow. I said, hello. And then I realized it was the woman I'd been seeing. Standing right there, looking down at me. Not blinking, just a steady gaze. And her head slightly tilted to the side, just looking at me. And she was already there. I had the t- chance to realize I am looking at a ghost. And she seems to be about a foot, a foot and a half away from me. And then she vanished. That time I saw her vanish, I hadn't before. Just from the bottom up, she disappeared like dew evaporating, she was gone. And I remember leaning on my elbow and I said aloud to myself, how am I ever going to get anybody to believe this? (laughs) (laughs) And of course people do it first and then they wonder about it. Like you were half asleep, you said you were in bed. No, I was wide awake. Mm. So yeah.
2: It's interesting because that's the only way we have to determine a ghost. Um, is with their own eyes. Every other little piece of equipment and all that crap doesn't conclusively right. a ghost. You have to actually see it. And your case is, would be the case book of how to really see because I argue all the time or, or blog or whatever that listen, put the, you know, put the equipment away. That's good if you can find a haunting, but you first have to see a ghost and, to know for sure because all the equipment can all measure different things than a haunting. It can be, so it's all ambiguous. And so your case is fascinating. And the interesting thing was she seemed to be aware of you too, um, which is really interesting. So um, yeah, no, I'm just fascinated by your case. It really is good.
1: Yeah, Uh, so James, I gotta gotta know what, uh, as a demonologist, what was, the craziest case that you were called in to work on, or, um, you know, the case that kind of stands out in your mind, uh, as being, you know, definitely a, of supernatural nature.
3: Well, I feel like it's a repetition thing because I've, I've said the story, uh, so many times. So it's like, it, it's always a part of my life. It will always be because it's something that lingers in you. It's, it's, it's at that point you still, even though you're, you might uh, be, you might be interested in uh, literature. You might be interested in, uh, in what demonology is, and you might be a paranormal investigator. Have never, never come across what we would call a wicked spirit or a demon or something that comes close to that level. Um, but I would say my craziest case would be the first case that. I ever was called in by a psychologist. Usually I reach out to people that are specialized that go through clinical uh, studies to become to that level. It's, I really respect, even though, um, psychology is still developing. We're still understanding the mind. I still respect the people that dedicate eight years, 10 years to go to the route of becoming a doctor. You have to have respect for that dedication. Um, and I've always, I've always reached out to individuals because, I'm not all knowing. And even though when I was younger, I was still a little bit more uh, brash and stoic and thought I could handle the world upon my shoulders by myself. I still would work with other individuals because I don't know everything. Um, you know, I'm always learning every day, but what was eye-opening to me was getting that phone call by somebody that I know who's a doctor in psychology, who dabbles in paranormal, but more so on she's brought into cases to, decided for the difference, the, which is a disorder, uh, what could be misperceived, you know, what could be like maybe a shared hallucination. She's brought into that in that realm. So her calling me and saying, I have a case for you to come check out, was kind of like, what, what do you mean you have a case for me to come check out? Isn't this supposed to be the uh, you know the reverse sort kind of thing? And that was in Salem, Massachusetts, um, probably over 12, 13 years ago now, I do believe, I, I, geez, I can't, probably 10 years ago, I, well, we just had a lecture thing 10 years ago. So that was, yeah, that was before that. Uh, that. So it, has to, it has to be 11 years ago, if not more. And Salem, Massachusetts, uh, I went to this case and basically uh, the psychologist had a phenomenon that happened prior. Like she almost pulled into a closet by this dark unseen entity. I wasn't there to witness this, but uh, other investigators um, who have a lot of reputation reputation, and uh, a lot of time involved in this field witnessed this and she would not lie as well because of her background and I I, I seriously know that. So when I went there I would work on this individual because it was with an individual uh, you know they were thinking uh, this person was being influenced and um, in what, what we call demonic possession and uh I was observing this individual's baby involved. And of course he was married young because they had a baby. So it was a, you know, a very young dynamic. So of course, even though it is a form of psychotherapy and sometimes they might not need it. If the house is not haunted, there's like, you do a blessing because it, it, it alleviates people's minds. It's a form of psychotherapy. Once again, it, 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 they'll come over that once you leave, you'll feel comfortable in their household. So, you know, as I did feel like a undying presence there though. As soon as I w- um, got onto that lot, and of course, if you know Salem, it's a bunch of apartment buildings and, and it wasn't an apartment building, apartment complex. And you know, as soon as I hit that um, park, parking lot, I, I felt an uneasy feeling. I, 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 I'm driving, I'm shaking, I, I'm not by myself. I'm with um, my helper who's a shaman uh, at that time. His name is Phil Davis. And he was with me because, um, you know, I've worked with him and he's a big guy. So I know that I wouldn't be put in danger and he felt it too. And basically stopping and um, calling our contact, who was a psychologist saying we're here, you know, starting getting closer and closer, meet me in the back. It started getting heavier and heavier. And I don't say this, like, I've just never felt this feeling before. It was, it was definitely like the fight, fright or flight that c- comes upon you. And I have never felt this in my life before. Like I've been very, uh, bad situations, of course, in my home life, I live with mommy dearest I hope she's not watching. She's, she's a sane woman now. Um, I love her very much. Um, but you know, I, de- I definitely dealt with trauma, you know, I never, never ran from it. And of course my body was just reacting. Um, just, I, I felt like I was going to defecate myself. Like I felt like I was going to vomit. Like I, there was just so many things, that were occurring internally, psychologically, that made me want to just leave. But one thing, even though I never had come across a demon at that point in time, like that was my first case, I believe it really was, Um, but I'd never felt this before. It was, so when I met with the owner, um, which was the, of course, the husband, I can't say names due to HIPAA. And um, the husband and the baby wasn't there, but I met the wife as well. And I just felt something easy. Like, it's not like uh, he was looking at me. I, I like to say that when you're dealing with somebody in that affliction, if they truly are under that influence, when they look at you, they're looking through you. They're not looking into your eyes. They're just looking right through you and analyzing every little thing they, they need to know, or they're just making that perception, knowing that you're not here. You can't affect me. It's that kind of stoic nature that they put upon to try to kind of make you want to run away and be scared. So I felt this and I, I understood what was going on at this point, kind of in some form, like I walked into the apartment, <clears throat> pulled the sliders, got even heavier. Uh, of course, the psychologist brought me to where she had been pulled into the closet, it was heavy. And of course, that's what child's room was as well, which was a very interesting thing. And um, so basically I, had asked the husband and wife to please step out. You know, I think at this point in time, I, I felt some sort of uh, energetic shift in the individual. Like it was like, you know, thank you for being here kind of thing, but also looking through you to like, you're pulling out, like holy you out. It might've been a psychological thing at that point in time, like him being nervous. Um, but I basically said, can you please step out? I knew I was going to do a blessing. Um, and what I wanted to do because they were supposed to go get a coffee. They were supposed to, you know, leave the house for a period of time. And I was going to do a blessing. He did not want to leave. Of course that could be many different things of why he did not want to leave, but he did not want to leave. So I said, okay, he's starting to get very uh, ferocious and was starting to be angry. And the, the words he was using, the, the words he was choosing, I was starting to become very violent. And I said, you know, please, come sit down at the table mind you I had Phil Davis who was a big dude and this LA guy um who also um was a very big dude they were both bouncers in their careers and I said please sit down and this is where the craziest things happened uh and really kind of really uh opened my eyes to believing demons existed is that before I could even say the prayers over this man, I was going to do a deliverance uh, prayer over him. Is that he went up to an archway of sheet rock archway, and of course there's uh, adrenaline. But guy latched, and guy is about six two, he's a big dude, and probably he's twenty two at that time. Goes up to the archway, and the sheet rock just starts crumbling from the archway as he grabs it. And I said, "Please sit down." He's escorted by Phil and uh, this other gentleman. They plop him down. I start opening my binder, Have everything laid out, my holy oils, my holy waters. And all of a sudden, in a split second, after I said, are you ready to to receive Jesus in your life? The table, which is probably about eight feet long, goes flying. Like he sends it flying, like physically, of course, not with any psychokinesis or telekinesis or anything like that but with his physical hands he sends the table flying all my stuff goes on the floor um he about goes lunge at me i miss the table by a, a very small margin and these big guys phil and this cell gentleman pin this guy up to the wall i grab my crucifix and everything else and i go up to him and start saying prayers um And another thing that's crazy, too, and I I carry this around with me, is one of the weirdest things I ever heard in my life is somebody dislocating their own shoulders to grab Mm. onto somebody. But imagine two 400-pound guys holding somebody to a wall, and this young 22-year-old dislocates his arm, and you hear the crack, (laughs) grabs me with that same arm grabs onto my rosaries that I had especially made um, by this time, a company called Luxury Laces. He made them for me um, and very nice rosaries, grabs them and they shatter everywhere. I continued the deliverance prayer. Um, he settles down, he sits down, he passes out. And then he, of course, uh, vomits um, after the ritual is done. Um, he expels uh, a, lot, a lot of his internals, of course, because of the stress and what the body's going through at that point. Um, and expulsion too usually that would uh, would occur some kind of uh, uh, letting out of some sort of bodily fluid but what the craziest thing is in the moral of the story what not only did I believe I dealt with the demonic possession that day for the first time and I was called by a psychologist but a little later afterwards I I thought the rosaries could be fixed because they were a very nice gift I look at where he grabbed the rosaries specifically because how I would could grasp the concept as how the break happened. Um, this metal uh, that is not able to uh, oxidize in the, the form it's you know, uh, normal oxidization does, like copper hits out the metal, it oxidizes. Uh, Where he grabbed it, it was uh, oxidized, like it, it was burnt, like tarnished. And to me, to this day, it's the craziest thing. And I still have these rooms. I bring them to conventions, lectures with me, and I show them. And I don't tell people the story, I put them out. Some people say, oh, I feel evil on that. So I say, good. It's kind of like I like to test people kind of thing. But the few times somebody has told me almost the detail of the story before without ever hearing me, hopefully never hearing me talk about it online, but it's very interesting. So that's my very uh, first eye-opening case because it really led me to the ability that um, demons do exist, and also one of the craziest things—not that uh, I'll end it here—is that after that case, all the people involved in that case became enemies. That they, they all stopped talking to each other. We all split. It was—it was, it was very—it was very eye-opening.
2: Interesting.
0: Well, okay. that was a memorable
3: night. <laughs> yeah, it was very memorable.
2: Have you seen the movie Exorcist Three? Oh, uh, the terrible one. It's often said to be, no, that's The, 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 her, the Heretic Exorcist II, crap, don't watch it, um, but <laughs> Exorcist three with George C. Scott, uh, William Peter Blatty did the movie, yeah. he came back to do the movie. It's, the um, it's one of the few movies that scared the living shit out of me. Woman in Black with uh, Harry Potter was, was the other one. Um, it is, the book, you can't read the book, it's too crazy, so don't try reading the book. But the movie is often said to be better than the first, mm-hmm. and I agree, because for f- first 40 seconds, 46 minutes of the, f- of the first one, it's... Oh. <laughs> but, and then it kind of jazzes up a bit. This one hits it right from the beginning, it's, there's a few bizarre things, and there's pinning to the wall. That's why, that's the connection. When you say pin to the wall, yeah. and um, let me just say, it, you'll... Uh, with your experience, you'll find that movie rather um, interesting. But anyway, sorry to talk so long for that. It's just that when you were talking about being pinned and then broke the air in all this, it reminded me of what happened to uh, one of uh, uh, the uh, priests during the exorcism um, in The Exorcist 3. Um, so anyway. Oh, and don't watch the director's cut. Uh, uh, no, 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 no. The demon supposedly gives up when his father dies because he hated his father, and he says, "Well, I guess that's it. See you later," type of thing, right? It's like what the fuck, <laughs> you know? Uh, you want uh, the, the, you know, the network, whoever was, you know, um, the bosses of, of that old lady. You gotta have an exorcist if it's called the exorcist. So, yeah, I thought I think the exorcist is better when it's driven out. Um, by who he has possessed and I can't tell you that but there's a connection with George C. Scott and it's pretty cool Um, it's a pretty cool one and many people think it's better because it has these bizarre things but again you've got to watch because if not you'll miss little things and sometimes you don't watch for the uh, the actual actor you have to keep watching everywhere else yeah but anyway, sorry for that long interview.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna to have to watch it again. It's been a long time. Yeah, now I do too. I've never yeah. watched it the first time. Yeah. No, 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 that's great. That, that was a great story. Um, yeah, that's that's really cool. I, I never heard I never heard you speak of that. So for me it was brand new. And- yeah, no,
3: it's it's definitely definitely eye-opening. I know Carl and Elise, well, maybe Elise has, but I know Carl has have had a lot of experiences as well too.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna get to Carl in a minute. I want to ask him about the uh, Conjuring House. But uh, Elise, what is how long have you been um, investigating in the paranormal now?
4: Gee, how many years has it been? Less than five years. I was gonna say <laughs> less than uh, five. Probably years.
0: Off the so almost because I'm, I'm more
4: of a, I mean, these guys have a lot of experience with the spirit, spiritual realm and have seen things and done things that. Someday maybe I will, but I'm more of a frontline practical investigator. Like I said, uh, life got in the way, but I've raised children, I've owned houses, I've, you know, I've, I'm an historian, I do a lot of research on these properties when we do get a case, uh, you know, I, I fix on the person who can tell you if it's your appliance making a funny noisy heating system, whether or not there might be some mold in your house or mice or you know I'm, I'm really into looking for the normal explanations and i'm i think i'm pretty good at that just because mm-hmm. of what my life experience has been
1: and that no and that's great everyone needs somebody like that on on the team and then i know you're a student uh, at ryan um because that's how we met before this all got so Yes, you know, that's strange um but i mean you're certainly doing the right things by you know taking the ryan education courses and things like that Um, I know you said you had something thrown at your head on one case, but uh, has there been anything else that you've experienced that uh, you would consider supernatural?
4: Um, Just one case that we had where um, actually I started writing about it in our homework where, you know, I thought we were going to someone's house because he kept saying he heard voices and we just went over to do an interview. They seemed very nice and we'd find out what was going on. I had gotten a new recorder that day. And as we spoke, I said, do you mind if I put this on because I don't feel like taking notes tonight? And they said, sure, no problem. And when I got home, I listened to the conversation, made my notes and I heard another voice that didn't belong to any one of us. It was close up to the microphone and whispering and swearing. So that was my first real EVP and uh, it led to more and a pretty good case.
1: Well, that's interesting and um the uh the research that you do as well have you come across anything um you know interesting in your research i know uh the the house that uh, carl and i were kind of talking back and forth on uh on the email there or facebook message.
2: Checking your
1: email login. <laughs> doing a zoom meeting my god <laughs> um the uh, the house in cranson actually sorry, uh, the, the, <laughs> the, the family had uh <laughs> yeah, the family had uh, actually done the research on the house, so I didn't have to do it. But yeah. they, had, they went to the town hall, and they actually had a record of all the different people that had owned the house before they did. Cranston's uh, very
4: good for that. I've gotten uh, when I was doing some historical research, the man had lived in Cranston. I found his probate. I found his property records. They're really good.
1: Yeah, it was really great. It had their name and all that stuff. So anyway, when we interviewed the family that lived in the house before Mm -hmm. them, they had actually experienced some stuff in the house as well, uh, which was interesting. So it's not just like one family, you know, kind of thinking stuff's happening here. You've actually interviewed two separate families that have both had, you know, paranormal experiences. So have you come across anything during your research that's kind of
4: Oh, not in my research or my cases. The people are usually renters, and it's hard to find previous renters. And you know, you don't even find out. Usually, it's a company that will own the home, so it's hard to find out. You know, they're not going to give you information on who rented it last, unless you speak to the other neighbors. Um, where I have found a lot of good information is, Carl mentioned the the house on uh, farm on Rong Top Road, the Conjuring House. And I've helped them do some uh, investigation into the background of the house. There have been so many articles and books written about it. Um, of course, Andrea Perrin wrote you know, the, the original trilogy, which led to the movies telling her story of living in the house. And uh, there were other articles written about the ghost Bathsheba, the witch that was haunting the house. And um, when you look into these stories, I've mostly found that they weren't true. What happened was it's a... Uh, you know, almost an urban legend, that there were little pieces of these stories that were true in separate incidents and someone put it together. Um, Supposedly uh, there was a 90 year old woman who hanged herself in the barn. Well, there was a Mrs. John Smith who hanged herself. It didn't happen there, it happened up the road. There was a Mrs. John Smith that died at 90 years old. She was a neighbor. Um, Then, you, you know, a child was murdered there no she wasn't her name did happen to be Arnold the same as the um people who lived in the house but she died about 10 miles away and they know who killed her and you know it was an unfortunate incident and what happened but these things just get turned into these urban legends that someone you know comes to visit the house oh the lady hanged herself and this witch Bathsheba she was sticking pins in children's heads and and that, that's what one of the stories was that Bathsheba was a witch. I think it's just because her name is so exotic sounding. Mm-hmm. And um, it, she had such a reputation that people knocked her tombstone over so many times that it now could only be repaired one last time. And um, that's what I do um, with the Historical Society is I conserve cemeteries in my town. But I know the people who do it in that town, they... picked up the pieces one last time and hid the stone somewhere after they repaired it so if you go to visit the bathsheba the witch's grave she doesn't even have a stone there anymore just the base that it was on
1: so that's interesting that you mentioned that because uh uh i've been to mercy brown's grave yes Mm -hmm. Uh, daryl likes the story of mercy brown as well but um you know her grave is intact and actually people have done shavings yes. of it and everyone leaves her little gifts and trinkets but then I went to um Nellie Vaughn's grave and that headstone has been stolen and okay. I could only kind of tell the general area where she was buried by some old YouTube videos of people that had right. been when the stone was still there kind of thing so it's interesting that you mentioned that um about uh Shiva, but I guess that's kind of when things become popular, like the movie *The Conjuring*. You're going to get people, you know, coming and visiting, and possibly stealing stuff and vandalizing stuff. And I know the previous owners, the the new owners now are obviously very pro paranormal. Uh, I think they're actually charging, you know, paranormal investigative groups to go in and investigate the house. And they're
4: actually all the way through 2022. You can't get an appointment. You can't get a reservation until 2023. It's
1: quite expensive. I I looked it up. I mentioned it in class when we were talking about uh, ethics and compensating people and things like that. And they want you to book six investigators minimum at $150 a pop. So it's $750 US that they're making on a Friday and a Saturday night. So um, it's, it's a lot of money to be made. I mean, it's a great business tool, but this kind of also would segue to go back to Carl. So Carl, when you were there with uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren, um, what what kind of things do you think in the movie uh, were exaggerated compared to what you know about the case? And what did what did you see and experience in that house back before it became so popular and, and Hollywood uh, kind of popularized it?
0: Well, it is true that uh, Lorraine Warren did receive a Vision, a very remarkable vision, the clairvoyant vision while she was there. And it is true that the Warrens were there. Uh, similarities end right around that, <laughs> that level. But, but uh, you know, but uh, and I was there and that is not represented in, in the movie, of course. And uh, that was, Lise was saying about uh, Bathsheba Sherman, Thayer Sherman. Uh, She was not thought of as being a witch or any kind of really oddball, maybe a little eccentric, but she wasn't remarkable at all during her lifetime. That would have been noted if she had been. Now, when I saw that, oh yeah, it was genuinely haunted. It's not like this whole thing was made up. In fact, my history with that was uh, my brother placed an ad in a local periodical advertising our group at Rhode Island College that we would come in and investigate a house. We wanted to branch out into residential cases. To that effect, he placed an ad in the paper and that ad was answered three weeks later by a Mrs. Carolyn Perrin in Harrisville, Rhode Island. She told about she and her husband uh, about two years before had purchased a farmhouse in Harrisville and strange things were happening. They wanted us to come in and evaluate that if we would. So we agreed to come to the Perrin's household, very ominous as we pulled up. There was then a gravel driveway, is again, but uh, kind of, and um, So I I just felt my spider sense was tingling. I thought I didn't, I shouldn't get out of the car. There's something eerie, but that made me more interested. So our team went there it was not I alone. I was there with my identical twin brother and uh, the case manager Donna and a couple of other members. So we went in there to probe the house. And um, well, I think one of the first things that happened was We were given a tour of the house, as the current homeowners do, took us around, and there was one room upstairs. Now, this was August of 1973, and most of the house was sweltering. There was one room. You walk into it. It was like an icebox, unnaturally chill. Oddly, there was a window that was jammed open, could not shut it. Roger, Carolyn's husband, Roger Perrin tried. It was just his birthday three days ago turned 86 and uh he could not close that window i couldn't close it, leaning my weight on it it was just jammed open but for some reason the room was cold so uh it was interesting my brother then my twin brother he had long blonde shoulder length blonde hair he was dressed in a white muslin shirt and just very, very slim and he had a bible with him so one of the daughters nancy she looked out the kitchen window, and uh, we got out of the cars, and she said to her mother, Mom, Jesus is here.
2: <laughs>
0: so Keith made a favorable impression right away. Maybe, maybe my impression was not as the compression I conveyed. Was I, I was wearing a medallion. I was had a tight-fitting red-black shirt, you know, alongside. But I, I wasn't as holy-looking, even though we're identical. So we start the interview process. We're asking, when did you first notice things were awry here? What makes you think it might be uh, predicated on something supernatural? We're asking the standard questions. And while we're interviewing Carolyn and her daughters, uh, Roger had to leave at a certain point. uh, We heard uh, shuffling around upstairs, something like I grew up with, those noises. It really sounded like someone was upstairs. And uh, I asked, I said, excuse me, Mrs. Perrin, do you have company? I'm hearing somebody walking and moving around. And Carol and the parent and the daughter said, no, we we hear that almost every day. Suddenly we'll hear people moving up there. So, okay, we resumed the interview process. I kind of slid back and unobtrusively went upstairs. I want to see what's going on up there. So I'm walking around past the bedrooms. It's kind of a, a small corridor that connects the girls' bedrooms. Nobody was up there and the noises stopped when I got up there. Well, right after those noises stopped, I'm looking in one of the bedrooms and uh, everything seems fairly normal, a little gloomy. But then out of the corner of my my right vision, my peripheral vision, I saw something dark advancing. And I just turned and there's this darkness coming at me. It's obscuring the background, it's opaque. It was so real. That, uh, I figured this, there's gotta be a fire in the house. It's a backdrop, I'm waiting to smell smoke. This dark thing is coming. So I closed my eyes and this thing came up to me and then it was gone. I didn't smell anything, it was just, you know. Well, that was interesting. So I, I never knew what, I didn't have any emotion associated with it except being startled. So I went downstairs and I kind of gave my brother the look. Something's up there and uh, so we, uh, you know, had our second tour of the house, you know, in, in that day, they, uh, we went back upstairs, but now we're investigating as a team. I went down to the basement, actually, for, I remember I wanted to be the first one down in the basement. It's an old basement. It looks very much like it, it looked very much like it does now. So I'm down there and all of a sudden the, the light goes, the single light bulb goes off. So I'm like, you just picture my voice in darkness of, oh, you know, here, mm-hmm. yeah. You know? But well, I, I saw some light coming from the stairwell. while I made my way back up. Uh, we went up to the stairs to where I had seen that blackness. We went into the bedroom, where the door, the window was jammed open, and I said, "Yep, Roger, tried it. I tried it. I'm afraid if I put my full weight on it, it'll just bust." You know. So uh, my brother tried an experiment with provocation. My brother Keith, uh, not yelling and swearing and challenging the spirit. That I find that totally ineffective and offensive. But my brother. Uh recited a biblical psalm. I think uh I think the 21st Psalm, the 23rd Psalm. And then uh he said the name of Jesus, by gum, that window slammed shut, right on cue. Maybe it was just good timing, but it was really good timing because that window just closed itself. When that happened, Judy, I think it was, had three marks on her face. Welts, as if she'd been slapped she hadn't been slapped it's just that she had these marks there which was inexplicable so we all agreed we had an interesting time that first day at the parents house uh i i for some reason Carol, i I guess it was my deep voice because i was issuing some directives of what we should do carolyn took me for the leader of the group and so i was her contact carolyn would place she said would you mind if i call you and talk about it oh no please do that's why we're here so Carolyn commenced to call me during the week, and she uh, she would report the strange things that were happening in her house, and they were strange things, slicing an orange, and this fluid oozed out of the orange that looked like blood, I mean, something viscous, she always had something happening, So all right, now that book just flew over across the table, things like that, while I'm on the phone with her, and I knew she was legit, so um uh, we decided it might be a nice professional touch to call on Ed and Lorraine Warren. I don't know who, su- who first suggested that. It might have been my brother. But somebody suggested that we contact Ed and Lorraine Warren, with whom we were, to, were acquainted, because that will give you know the, the parents more confidence that we're getting something done. Well, before we contacted the Warrens, we got emer- something of an emergency call from the parents. Carolyn asked if we could please come back. She said, there's just so much happening. I want you to know. So, and, and look at it. So we came back. She showed me the items that had been damaged. and couldn't explain how the, you know, that book up there wedged in the corner. That wasn't there. We, we came in and we saw it like that. Well, I wasn't so interested in, in what was happening there. And, uh, you know, with physical objects as the change in Carolyn Perrin in that two weeks period, she had aged she was a slender woman anyway, but she seemed to have withered. What has happened to Carolyn? Perrin? It's like the house is digesting her. Roger, who had been pretty you know, nonplussed and stalwart, you know, he, he said, well, if you find something, let me know. Roger has scratches on his arms. He said, I woke up with these. I woke up with these. He was upset. So, oh yeah, they got something going. Let's let's it in, Lorraine. Now we never felt we were in over our heads. My purpose in calling Ed Warren was to alert him and get some advice. We didn't invite them over. That wasn't our place to do so. Uh, But Ed Ed and Lorraine offered to come over to that house. I said, well, gee willikers, you know, we're getting some service here, it should be fun. So uh, I talked to the parents and they said, yes, if you think it's a good idea, have Ed and Lorraine come over. So Ed and Lorraine did come. I remember being on the phone before they like the day before they came to the parent house and i was talking to ed warren you know i knew him i lectured with him a few times in fact and i said now i understand this is you know we're going to be working together on this case i had such a good communication with ed and lorraine especially with ed they had dinner at my parents house that was a fun occasion it's a very good memory of the warrens so i'm talking to ed on the phone and uh i said you'd like our case files he said, oh yes you know, have them ready for us. And uh, I said, uh, we're going to be wa- working together on this case. And he said, yeah, absolutely. So uh, Ed and Lorraine came over. I forget what day of the week it was, but Ed and Lorraine made their way over to Harrisville, Rhode Island, with my directions. This was before GPS. And I'd learned how to get there. And uh, I was so happy when Ed and Lorraine pulled up in that driveway. I was the one to greet them because I knew them. I said, you know, I knew they were there. Because I'd spoken to them. So they came in, they did a preliminary investigation, they got the tour of the house. And that's the, the photograph I sent to you. I sent to Elliot that, uh, you know, where the Warren's the first in the house. You don't see Ed in the picture, but you do see uh, Lorraine Warren. Yes, yeah. In later years, uh, Lorraine Warren denied that any other paranormal investigators were there at that time, but you know, there I was, and there Donna was. So, uh, we all had a good experience, very, you know, Lorraine was uh, out looking at the backyard and I believe that's when she is said to have had her vision of a lady hanging from a tree. And uh, so, you know, everybody said good night and it was all affable and all that. Uh, so I said, we're, we're having a meeting of our team. So it wasn't this prestigious and Lorraine Warren are assisting with our case. Isn't that something? So uh, I didn't hear from Carolyn the next day. Uh, maybe and Lorraine Warren came over again. Didn't hear from Carolyn for the next several days. And it seemed to be evident that I was not going to hear from Carolyn anytime soon. This was, you know, she would call every day, several times a day. I remember my father saying, Well, there's a newspaper said, Who is this woman who keeps calling you? Is this a girlfriend? I said, not, not exactly bad, no. So um, we had a meeting of Pyro over at the college. And we figured, well, either this case is, you know, accelerated and the Warrens are really intensely helping these people, or maybe it got better. They don't need to speak to us anymore. Maybe the haunting went, we, we just have to wait it out. Okay, it was 16 days later, I believe that uh, Carolyn Perrin did call me. She apologized for having been in, out of touch. She informed me that the Warrens advised them that they could be of no help, Unless they were the only paranormal investigators on that case, so we were just a bunch of college kids. We couldn't do much. We couldn't do anything except get in the way, and so that's basically how we lost contact with the parents. At least, at least I did. I wouldn't speak to Carolyn again. Not not that there was any bad emotion involved, but it just so happened that I didn't speak to her again for like decades. You know, because the Warrens were busy with this case, and we figured hey, it's the Warrens is going to be at least partly legitimate. You know, they're helping these people. So, um, but actually the Warrens and the parents had a uh, a falling out, a bad severance of their relationship because a seance was arranged. Not, I wouldn't agree with a seance being conducted when a woman so vulnerable as was Carolyn Perrin. But when we left or we were exited, and the Warrens took over. It ceased being a paranormal investigation, and it became an intercession, you know, because they were taking that totally uh, subjective approach. That it was the demon witch Bathsheba Sherman. Mind you, the the parents had a uh, had a dog when they resided in Cumberland. The dog died mysteriously and died in the road, or more quickly, I should say. Um, their dog's name was Bathsheba. And there was that the grave of Bathsheba, you know, about two miles away from there. Not, not quite that far. So uh, what happened was Lorraine Warren prescribed a seance. She said, you need to have a seance to get to the bottom. And I find that totally non-value and unscientific because you're going to find out what's causing a supernatural agent. You're going to enlist the supernatural. And you're going to talk to... Maybe the ghost will tell us something. I mean, it just made no sense to me. We were taking measurements and photographs and recording. So, well, that's the Warren's case now. So, uh, I wasn't present for that seance, but I heard about it from people who were there. So, uh, Roger Perrin came. He was on a truck around the road, you know, had a business going, and he came back. And this seance is set up. He said, okay, let's let it go and see what happens. Uh, present are Ed and Lorraine Warren, and a pastor, a priest, and a medium that was enlisted by Lorraine Warren. So the séance began. This was October 30th, 1973, traditionally Devil's Night. Mm. So it wasn't long in that sense before Carolyn seemed to be taken over and speaking in some kind of, uh, what sounded like a language nobody could interpret. And she's she's moaning these words. They don't seem English. And uh, suddenly it reached zenith when Carolyn Perrin was propelled out of her chair. Her body was thrown out of the chair. This is fact. that plenty of eyewitnesses, oh, must have been about nine, ten feet away into the next room. She lay unconscious on the floor. She looked like she was dead, Roger said uh, afterwards. So Roger went. To, to the aid of his wife, uh, regretfully, Ed Warren came and kind of blocked his way and stood over them and said, you must never touch the possessed. So Roger Perrin had his, his fill of the mumbo jumbo at that point. He actually struck Ed Warren and uh, ordered them out of the house. He said, no more supernatural, no more paranormal people in this house, that's it. So, that was the last time the Warrens were there. So it wasn't um, like you see in the movie by any means. I'm not saying that everything Ed and Lorraine did was wrong. I'm just saying I would have had a different methodology. I would have continued. I thought we could have worked good together because they would have handled the, you know, the, uh, the spiritual aspect and we would be taking our pictures and measurements and recordings. But that's not the way it was to be. So this whole, while it was very dramatic, and I think you could make just as interesting a story telling the precise truth. Then uh, Andrea Perrin, as uh, Lee said, came out with a trilogy of books: uh, House of Darkness, House of Light, Parts One, Two, and Three. Uh, there are discrepancies with the timeline and, you know, some inaccuracies. I'd say, but uh, this gained the, the attention of a producer, actually. Uh, the parents were in touch with that. producer. Every parent was in touch with a certain producer, said she was writing this book and became a screenplay kind of. And that's how The Conjuring movie came about. You know, and I'll say one good thing. Well, it's an entertaining film, The Conjuring. But one good thing I'll say about it is when you are watching Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga uh, portraying respectively Ed Warren and Lorraine Warren, to me, it's like watching the Warrens again. It made me nostalgic. It's like, that's the chemistry they had on stage and in person. You loved to see Ed and Lorraine. You wanted to hear their stories and see their slides and you didn't want it to end. Most people, you know, they did such a good job portraying the personalities of Ed and Lorraine. That's, that's watching them again.
1: That's really fascinating and uh, and of interest to me because I'm a huge uh, Conjuring Universe uh, fan. <laughs> Um, the first time I ever heard of Ed and Lorraine Warren actually was uh, Daryl is the executive director of the center for parapsychological <laughs> studies in Canada. And after I'd taken a couple of his courses at the Nova Scotia community college, he invited me to uh, come to one of the meetings at the, the CPSC. And I eventually became a member. Um, and uh, I do remember at the time, uh, you know, Daryl was very, critical of the work of uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren, uh, because he felt, you know, every place that they went into every haunted place, it was always a demon. Um, you know, it was never just like an apparition or a ghost or anything like that. There was a real heavy push on on humans. And then it wasn't until later on, um, I was, I was more researching kind of UFOs at the time and, and uh, did have an interest in ghosts and and then it wasn't until later on when I started taking all my academic courses in parapsychology and, uh, you know, um, started to become interested in, in uh, demonology. Uh, you know, I bought The Demonologist and read that. And I have all the uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren's uh, books. And, you know, uh, it's kind of, I guess, disheartening to hear you say that, you know, here you have this university, college, uh, paranormal investigative group working the case, and then they kind of get pushed out, um, you know, kind of left out when you guys were doing like the science-based aspect of it, because Daryl and I are really big on the science-based part of parapsychology. Um, so that part's kind of disheartening, um, you know, to, to kind of hear, but uh, I mean, I agree with you. I think that there are some cases that they work that, you know, were, you know, completely legitimate, and they had, you know, really good work that they did. Um, do I think that you know stuff's been exaggerated you know of, of course uh, they keep making movie after movie based on loosely based on their cases even the new movie the conjuring three um the families come out and said that the movie's inaccurate and and this and that so i mean i'm sure and even daryl and i have done daryl's done more uh television than i have um he had his own tv show shadow hunter um, so Daryl knows the pressure you get from directors and producers to kind of spice things up a little bit. And that's why we have a big hate on really for a lot of the stuff that's on TV right now, because, you know, for example, they investigate in the dark all the time and that's strictly done for dramatics and, and effects because, uh, the society for cyclical research, um, uh, actually did like a bunch, like phenomenological study on ghost cases. And, you know, uh, Eleanor Sedgwick was the one that handled that. And she was able to determine that ghosts can show up daytime, nighttime, in the rain, in a friggin' thunderstorm outside, you know, inside, there's no rhyme or reason to it. Uh, you know, and then now they actually teach you at the Rhine. Um, you know, Lloyd Auerbach teaches you that the only reason you should be investigating in the dark is if the family says like you know the haunting only occurs in the master bedroom when the lights are turned out other than that you know turn the freaking lights on mm-hmm. and uh you know there's certainly a lot of a lot of stuff like that that goes on that kind of portrays
0: yeah you might miss a lot if the lights are always off <laughs>
1: and, and safety reasons they always say safety reasons i mean you're at somebody else's house you don't know like i trip over cables even just here in the studio you know so i mean you know it, just safety reasons and insurance reasons as well like you don't want to trip and fall and smash somebody's some somebody's parents earned or something like that so all kinds of reasons not to not to do it but uh, that's uh yeah it's it's such a interesting story that you told and it's a little like a little bit disheartening for me because i'm a huge ed and lorraine warren fan and fan of their work but um james you, you've been invited to the uh to the uh, paracon that's going on in uh, connecticut there
3: Carl has too, to, to, yeah, but yeah, yeah oh, definitely, wow. and, and, and I, I do work with Nesper close closely. You know, I've uh, been able to be at the museum, have blessed the museum, have worked on cases with their current directors. You know, Tony and Dan. Uh, I've worked on cases with them before. You know, and you know, of course, I've had my opinions of Ed Lorraine. You know, of course, it definitely spurred in my interest even further and deep because you said uh, a great book, The Demonologist of course um and they've I think 20 books or something like that 12 books they've written they've written uh, you know a, a great amount of books that have described a many amount of different cases in the New England area you know a lot of them in Connecticut a lot of them in Massachusetts but it's 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 very eye opening but of course you have to take what what you learn from it because you know, even though I did not know this right away either, but a man named Charles Dickens, who is one of the first paranormal investigators with the Ghost Club, right, um, wrote a pamphlet called "A Haunted House," and even back in 1860, he knew how a haunted house would be enabled. It's the people that are are in the predicament, are in the situation, that are the battery that are enabling the situation. So it, 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 I can see if Ed and Lorraine going in with their opinion or perception of everything is demonic, why some of the times right. they received negative things could occur. If you're going in with that mentality, you might get that recourse and the kind of reamplification of this is, is negative, you know, kind of the laws of attraction uh, stance. So maybe some of it was of course, I wouldn't like to use the word fabricated because you know I can't I can't say that. I wasn't there at that time and place when they were investigating these locations. But of course, you know, knowing Nesper personally and working with them in a modern sense, you know, they, they aren't a bad group. that's not their first recourse to say this is demonic. And all of them have learned from Ed and Lorraine or from Lorraine and their first mentality nowadays, not it's demonic. I think where a lot of people get that basis of why they would jump is they were really strict Catholics. They were very, even though the seance the thing, they were very big into Catholicism and a lot of hardcore Catholics will jump to the conclusion right away that a spirit is a demon. You know, we're supposed to go to heaven or purg- even purgatory is not really a, a stance, but, you know, heaven or hell. So why do we linger? If we linger, then it's a demon trying to just be deceptive.
1: Yeah, you make a really good point there, James. Uh, the fact that they, you know, they they did take their investigations from a Catholic standpoint. Yeah. And uh, I got to meet Tony. Uh, I think it was October of 2018 uh, at the, a night with Annabelle. And I didn't know that he was a former police officer, and that's kind of mm-hmm. how we got talking. Because uh, I'm a former police officer now. At the time, I was still a police officer, but. Um, yeah, so like it was kind of cool because i'm director of paranormal phenomena research investigation he's director of new england's uh society for uh, psychic research and we we're both former police officers and so it was really cool i got to you know talk to him for a little bit at the dinner and get to know him and um, we follow each other on social media and stuff but uh, it's great to hear that uh NESPR has kind of advanced since the time of Edmure Warren, and they're taking more of a, like a scientific kind of, oh,
3: they, they, they still, of course, uh, look at the, uh, spiritual as, aspect of, you know, they're, you know, I know Carl's not, I've never, never necessarily used one in, in that spite, but, um, you know, they're still like, against the, uh, spirit boards and other certain things that. You could lead like tarot card reading so they still believe you know divination is a, a, a source of evil and some i'm not putting words in the mouth but they they do give that caution that you know if you communicate with these uh tools that are much older than modern day equipment it could open a doorway to something that uh, they they know what this is compared to maybe a recorder and they're a little bit more uh open to communicate and that's where it lays the danger and I, I really do think there is a danger in uh, communicating something that you can't see even though I do it um but it's there's still some dangers in it because there's there is no true fact there's no empirical evidence that goes yes we can talk about the stories and say yes everybody's experienced this since Charles Dickens time since uh, uh, beginning of civilization and Mesopotamia and so on but at the same sense, we still have no empirical data saying this is what a ghost is, what a spirit is, or an angel or a demon is. So we, it's all loose on
0: interpretation as well. That's how we figured that out. No. Nah,
3: yeah. Oh,
0: okay. I guess not. No. I no wish. We were close.
3: We were close. We were probably close one point yeah. in
0: time, but we always doubt
4: ourselves. Yeah. Uh,
2: people are too hung up on trying to communicate with a ghost. Yeah. Yes. And in my opinion, you've got to prove the ghost before you can communicate with one. Right. Um, so it's get the ghost to manifest itself while the camera and video camera is going, um, even though people will scream. You know, <laughs> scream. But anyway, the the, the 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 good parapsychologists and the good researchers will know. Okay, holy shit, we got a ghost, and. You know, once you've established that, that's when you bring in all the equipment to see what's happening when she, let's say, you know, Carl's um, ghost, uh, when she appear, appears, is there any change in the uh, in the environment? There should be if, it's, if there's a crossover. Um, so yeah, and then you can start to, you know, ask questions. But first you just gotta make absolutely sure you're you not know, talking to yourself or talking to, um, well, up to very recently uh, Christianity would say was demons in disguise but now of course they can use that as um, ghosts they're using that as uh, proof of life after death because of near-death experiences and ghosts and so they've completely changed over the last 15 years yeah. uh, especially right-wing Christianity um, has completely changed its opinion on what ghosts are and um, prior to that they were demons nope nope, nope. you stay away from that now their proof of life after death, near-death experiences that are so not near-death, it's breathtaking. Huh. Um, you know, they've gone to heaven, they've talked to God and all that shit. Um, <laughs> uh, is there um, is, you know, <laughs> scientific studies <laughs> in the 70s and 80s and early 90s before all the crap started coming out where everybody and their dog, you know, had a near-death experience. And the point was there, were, there are certain elements of it that hmm every single one and one of them is there's always a barrier of some kind a river the bridge something and they know instinctively if they cross that they're not coming back mm-hmm. so this going to heaven speaking to god and jesus and all that stuff um he must be breaking the rules and sending you back because you're not should technically you shouldn't be able to come back physically i guess and i find that fascinating so but yeah, it's been that area has been taken over, uh, yeah. you know, to um, demonology and and uh, has kind of taken a back uh, seat to uh, to that now. And I find that fascinating that uh, you know um, these great churches that used to be so against what we do and and look down on us now are using um, to, in my mind fallacious uh, you know stories to I look at the
3: not to not to jump into that even though it's not power. it could be paranormal in some sense but even the church has a stance on evolution now where they believe in microevolution but of course not the macro stance but still they've even come to start dabbling in the thought evolution of a possibility so it's really eye-opening but they, the church has uh changed their ideologies yeah. the What is that
0: evolution? you know uh, adaptation to one's environment yeah. to an organism's environment kind of paranormal that's right yeah if you don't evolve you don't <laughs> adapt you know survive Uh,
1: the other thing that's kind of popped up tonight as well which is important to to mention i think is that uh like you said when they were holding the seance and uh you know talking about using mediums and things like that is that you know as science-based parapsychologists we know that there you don't know who you're talking to right um because there's a couple of different theories it could be somebody that's just feeding you bullshit from the other side Um, and then there's also the theory of super uh Super Sai or Super ESP, as well. So, there could be a spirit somehow accessing almost like a demon accesses, you know, um, uh, a priest's sins or whatnot if they haven't been, uh, you know, uh, absolved of it through confession. But it could be a spirit accessing your mind. And that's actually one of the theories of uh, electronic voice phenomena as well. And I actually met an investigator, I'm not sure if you guys know, Michelle de Roche. She runs her own uh, radio show up in uh, Toronto um, called The the Outer Realm Radio Show um, Mm -hmm. with Amelia uh, Pisano. She actually had uh, a case of uh, basically telepathy being recorded on her recording device. She went to a home, a haunted house to do the preliminary interview with the family and her daughter was sick that night and she had left her daughter with the husband at home. And while she's interviewing the family, all she can think of is I got to get home to my daughter. She's really sick. I got to get home to my daughter. And so they they go, they do the interview Um, later on. Her techie guy downloads a statement and he's listening to it, and transcribing stuff. And he actually hears her say that on the recording device. So he calls Michelle up and he's like, Michelle, this really weird incident just happened. Like, I can hear you say you got to get home to your daughter and she's homesick, but it doesn't jive with the natural flow of conversation that's on the recording. And he goes, I was there and I don't remember you saying that. And it kind of doesn't make sense that you would just blurt that out while we're interviewing this family. And she said, that's because I didn't say it. I was, I was saying it in my head, but somehow it got Uh the, the recording. And that's one of the theories of EVP. And that's why EVPs are not proof of a haunting, but they are indicative or they could be considered evidence if you have other stuff happening as well. Um, so I think, I think that was important to mention because that theme kept coming up about trying to gain information from the supernatural side of things, but we don't even know who we're talking to on that other side. And we don't even know why they would have any information to tell us. Anyway, um, let's assume a, they, they want to talk
2: to you, but what, most of the time people talk to spirits. Um, they more or less want to know what the future is about, you know, uh, first thing question, what's heaven like, and then they want to know sure what's, what, you know, what's my life going to be like and this kind of thing. But we have all through history when I read through, I've read through it and studied it. I couldn't understand why the hell they would think a ghost would know what's gonna happen, you know, 10 years from now. Um, even the uh, Oracle of Delphi lied to, uh, lied to the king, whose name just went out of my head, when he brought Samson alive, um, which was not happy, to have been brought back. Was it Samson? Anyway, should know my story. Anyway, and um, he blurted out this, you know, at uh, tomorrow, a great uh, civilization will fall. Well, Saul, ah, Saul thought that was great, that that meant they were gonna win, and of course, he goes off to get his ass kicked hand <laughs> yeah. and handed uh, to him. And so, yeah, so, you know, the history of it is, is, is too bland, too non-instructive as to what the afterlife is. Um, well, hell, I mean, they should be, somebody should ask them about near-death experience, you know, uh, um, how that was, what was the barrier you went across? And, and they should be able to start describing those kind of things, you know? And uh, instead you get on the um, EVP in particular, um, there was a, a guy in Nova Scotia by the name, Alan Hatfield, who uh, liked to pretend he was a medium. And he had him into the CPSC and uh, he went around and talked to a few people, didn't talk to me. Anyway, so he goes to talk to uh, um, Kevin, Kevin Chin, and he says, uh, your father is here with me and uh, he wants you to um, want him to get a car. He wanted him to get a car. But anyway, you stop worrying about blah, blah, blah and all this shit. And so he goes on to somebody else and somebody else. Now, the center had a group of people who really believed wholeheartedly and a group of people who did not, of which I was kind of in the middle, depending on the phenomenon. And so anyway, he went around, he did a shtick, and so we, afterwards we shook hands and thank you very much, and I booted him out. And um, Kevin's father it was alive. <laughs> And uh, he went around the other people, even the people who believe in it wholeheartedly that you can't, you know It's no use talking to them about it um, said, oh no, he's full of, you know, crap and um, So, yeah, so I mean Mediums don't give you anything and the EVP gives you weird things and when Alan Hatfield did EVP He um, I forget where he was at. He was at a park or something, the, probably the nature park here in Nova Scotia. And he, supposedly on the um, on the recording, it said, uh, "Which which one's the one that's dead? That used to do the gorillas. The first one. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, the other second one still alive. She believes in Bigfoot. God, be good begins with G. Anyway, a uh, Massey. Massey was it? Somebody Massey? Hmm. Yeah, anyway, and nobody can, I can't, and, I, can, I know not, neither can I, but anyway, supposedly the ghost or whatever it is said, I'll say Diane, um, Diane Massey is dead, and the this was the EVP he played, and I'm thinking, why would a ghost say that, everybody knows that, hmm. it's a stupid thing just to say, you know, um, she or Diane Massey's with me, okay, that would be a little bit more, you know, expected, but Diane Massey or Fossies? Oh, whatever. Um, is dead. Oh,
0: Diane Fossey. You're talking about the gorillas in the mist and the mountain. Yeah, gorillas That's
2: Fossey. That's it. Finally. So and we, She is we, dead. Yeah. yeah, she is dead. And <laughs> so anyway, so we all were idiots when people were watching this. Um, make sure you edit it, right? And so <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, that was, you know, the stupidest thing I ever heard. And even if I had been in the least um, interested or belief in, in him, um, that would have killed it right there, just because it was such a stupid thing to, to for any spirit to say. Um, and then that's the only thing it said. Uh, it just he faked that one, obviously. Um, and I'm not when we uh, when I filmed Shadowhunter and um, for fourteen months, and part of it was talking to the dead which I named, and uh, which I didn't think was gonna be the title, but I named it. And so anyway, um, we ran around, we talked to a few people and one of them, the big scene, was to be at the New Glasgow Library or whatever it is, auditorium. And uh, where, of course, Alan Hatfield was doing his shtick. So it was a nice sunny evening, it was beautiful. I love New Glasgow. And um, we went down there and I met an author friend of mine, who unfortunately now is dead and has all the answers um, that he had been uh, searching for as a teacher for 40 some odd years. And um, so anyway, uh, I said to uh, my director, no, I'm not going near him. He's full of crap. I don't believe him. And if I go talk to him, what you're gonna get on screen, you're not gonna put, because she wanted a neutral just an investigation of it. So she wanted people to talk about it, experts talk about it, but not come down either for or against. And uh, I had people in Newfoundland, for instance, talk to me about fairies, where they saw fairies. And then I was brought to a town where his, uh, his mother, uh, who has since died, um, told lovely stories about seeing fairies and that. And uh, at that point in time, I'm having to learn how to keep The face because there's no fairies period and so it was hard to do um to just bring your face down to nothing and then uh you know when after they ask you what do you think oh jesus don't do that (laughs) but anyway and i just said oh this is fascinating you know and it's very motif that's all over newfoundland i think that was i managed to bs myself out of that one and uh, (laughs) But anyway, to get back to the point, which we lost a long time ago. <laughs> hey, the tooth fairy doesn't exist. What? <laughs> I'll turn it back over to Elliot. So, you know. Anyway, I'll, I ramble. I, you forget I'm a teacher. So, you know, I, I tend to ramble on about stuff. And, it. It's
1: interesting because we can't even duel over fairies because I'm not sure. I've heard stories too, and I'm not sure whether or not they exist or not. I'm kind of like on the neutral. They may or may not exist. I, I think
2: they so, so. I don't know. Not even the least. <laughs> don't, don't give me that. We can't ghosts. even don't, argue. Every, every myth of
1: folklore comes from a truth, right? So, right. We're we're out, out, right? Right? ghosts yeah. and demons, I, I give a thumbs up. But, uh, yeah. Well of course I do fairies, fairies on
2: demons I'm on. And
1: um, but
2: fairies, you're full of shit. You think that fairies are really cool. <laughs> <laughs> there's certain things we know for sure absolutely don't exist. One of them is fairies. Unicorns <laughs> exist, right?
3: right? <laughs> I'm just kidding.
2: <laughs> so anyway, but uh yeah, so uh anyway but that's nice. That's nice. You when you're fairies, that's <laughs> I said I'm neutral. I mean, I like fairies, but a different kind of fairy, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, okay, well, okay, and I'll say the thing that, I'll say the thing he'll edit out, James is cute. That was the note I passed him about 40 minutes ago. <laughs> yes, just to see if he'd react to it. But he's <laughs> off, so he doesn't react to it, right? No. But no, anyway, no, that's I mean, the was thing. sweating, oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. sweating now though.
1: Sweating. Yeah,
2: but anyway, uh,
1: you're, you're, fair. you're, <laughs> just, you're just <laughs> Well, no, we uh we appreciate you guys taking the time to speak to us. But um just for any of the listeners out there, uh why don't we go start from James and then go to Carl and then lisa give us like your um your uh, any website you have your social media accounts and uh, any books you've written and anything that you want to promote about yourself uh fire away james
3: yeah so uh one of the way you can get uh, reach me or reach the three of us as we work together as yep. demonology which we have i don't know how we ever got it but we have um the website is www.demonology.org and then um you can Contact me directly through Facebook, Instagram, or through my website, which is jamesanito.com, J A M E S A N N I T T
0: O. And you can reach me that way. The double N and the double T. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it's fortuitous that we have demonology.org. We thought that was long, taken I don't know, you just came up there. Yes. But that's how you can contact myself, Carl Johnson, Carl L. Johnson. Uh, I'm a presence on Facebook ubiquitous facebook i am an author of shadow realms demonology handbook co-authored with lana jan brock she's an accredited theologian and uh yeah shadow realms demonology handbook is available uh through amazon.com through the authors you know i'm not too hard to track down and Mm -hmm. i'm also a card-carrying member of panorama (laughs) paranormal which is probably develop a website before years end but right now we're we're available for contact on Facebook. We have a page on Facebook. You can find us, or they can ask you. You'll track us down.
2: Definitely
0: yeah. will. I don't
4: think either one of them mentioned that you'll, they also have a Facebook page for Duo Daemonology. We have a Facebook page fans, for Duo, yeah. okay. Uh Daemonology is spelled the old fashioned way with an I-E at the end. <laughs> Yeah.
0: And the way King James is yeah. G-I-E yeah. at the end, yes. I did hear
1: that on a podcast. I heard you guys talking about the the history of the name, uh, yeah, the, the demonology. But what I'll do is uh, I'll make sure uh, when we put the link out uh, to our listeners that we, you know, put your websites on there and uh, spell it. Properly. Yeah, we'll spell it. Uh, <laughs> spell it both ways. And uh, I'll also give uh, all those uh, websites a like as well. Thank you. And
4: Elise, you want to? Oh, okay. So, yeah, they've got the duo demonology. And as Carl mentioned, we have Panorama Paranormal on no website yet, but we're on Facebook. And I'm Elise Jamako Carlson on Facebook. And I'm on um, Instagram, is EGCJHS, mm-hmm. <laughs> Johnston Historical Society. That's why I picked that. Yes.
3: And go check out the museum at the Johnston, Ben Johnston Island. Have
0: a museum. Yeah, a like yep. small
4: museum. It's yep. yep. a yeah.
0: museum in Johnston, Rhode Island. Yep. All about Johnston history. So go check it out. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, guys. I
1: appreciate you uh taking you. this evening to speak to us and tell us some interesting stories. We we'll yeah. have us back.
0: We're scratching the surface here. <laughs> yeah, no, that's
4: great. I think
0: i go do my homework. <laughs> yeah, so you got homework together. And uh like
1: uh, PPRI uh, services the New England area, and I talked to James about this before. But uh, if anything comes up, because I only have two investigators down there uh, my co founder, Spencer Collier, yes, and uh, my researcher, Mike uh, Shaw, is in Maine. Spencer is in uh, Massachusetts, but he's moved to Rhode Island. Uh, he's in the process of that, but he still works out of uh, downtown Boston. Um, so if anything comes up uh, or anything like that, and you need some extra hands or or some yeah, or whatnot,
3: we'll uh, we'll do. I I don't know about Carl or at least, but if you ever need a, uh, uh, I know they're part of their team, but if you ever needed a, a outfit out this way, that we would love to. Oh, I would love to be a part of it. So yes. yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah.
0: And, and, Ty and Ty- Ty- will call me later, baby. <laughs> <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> yeah,
4: for
1: sure. Well, that was uh, certainly interesting. Uh, you never know how these podcasts are going to go and uh, what direction they're going to go. You know, being a huge Ed and Maureen Warren fan myself, I was really interested to hear the true story behind The Conjuring House. I had never heard that story before, and that's coming straight from, you know, somebody's mouth that was there. Um, And, uh, you know, to hear a deacon um, tell his experience, you know, being called in by a, it sounded really like that I would term the psychologist he was dealing with a parapsychologist because he said she's a psychologist that also you know studied and, and believed in the supernatural so i mean i would say she's know, a anomalistic
2: uh psychologist um the london has a university goldsmiths has a uh, um a department of anomalous psychology yes and it's essentially parapsychology but they're skeptics and they don't want to call themselves that
1: <laughs> yes, no, I, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I mean, it was really fascinating to, yeah. uh, to hear
0: those stories. Yeah, did, did it change your mind on,
1: on demons? Did it knock you up a little bit? Or, yeah. well, I, I like the fact that
2: James's story reminded me of Exorcist Three, which is better than Exorcist One, and it, it it did remind me, and I can't, and I don't want to give it away for the people that are, are watching. <laughs> Um, but you know it was very very similar. Now whether any of it was real, um, I can't just from what we what we little we talked with them. Although it, it was a fair amount of time, I can't determine truth from reality. From that, I'd have to go speak to them. I'd have to have to see the place and this kind of thing before I even come anywhere close to uh, to determining what if, you know what if anything happened. And um, you know as I, as we talked earlier. Um, I've had people, you know, tell me things that were completely unreal, you know, like fairies and you who like fairies so much. Um, I said I was neutral. I said I was neutral. Neutral is too much about fairies. But anyway, <laughs> at least he didn't bring the Philip experiment up. But I didn't. Um, I didn't. No, no, that's good. But anyway, yeah. So, I, you know, I found, but I found it interesting, no matter what it, how much truth and how much exaggeration how many lies or, or if it's all, you know, just a, like they said, a, a mishmash of stuff. A lot of times I don't think they even knew what was going on. And so um, they're, they're trying to make uh, sense of it as well. So, um, and they each come with a, from a different way, uh, just the way that Ed and Lorraine Warren come from a definitely spiritual way, yes. whereas, you know, you and I tend to come from the scientific way, um so yeah it, it was a, it was a good i like that i, I enjoyed uh, hearing their stories and uh they had a lot to tell but we have to have them back because they told too many good stories and when i want to focus in on the ghost and you probably want to focus in on the demon and so um we'll have definitely have to have them back separately um james and and um, Carl, carl and uh have them back separately and really get into it and see what's going on.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, there's, like I said, you never know where the podcasts are going to go. And uh, you know, we heard some great stories. Didn't really get into, you know, like where demons came from, which is, you know, uh, from the Catholic Bible, but there's yeah. also other religions, you know, I've dealt with uh, investigations involving uh, the Quran. They believe in jinns. There's good jinns, i.e. equivalent to angels and Catholicism. And then there's bad gems, you know, equivalent exactly. to demons. Yeah. So, I mean, like, yeah, there's there's all kinds of more stuff we can touch yeah, on. Yeah, exactly.
2: And I do want to get the Roman ritual. Um, I have a copy of it. You have a copy I of it? Copy. Um, because I was watching Exorcist 3 again uh, last week. And um, at the Roman ritual, uh, say, uh, save your servant, O Lord, who... That's the first words of the exorcism. Mm. Save your servant, O Lord... Oh darn.
1: <laughs> it's, I only I only I bought it off Amazon. I finally found a copy. How much did it cost? Um, it wasn't that much. It was like yeah. the cost of a regular book. Because uh, yeah, it had it had all the different rituals, so like the baptism one and all that stuff, which yeah. is actually a form of uh, minor exorcism. Baptism is the yeah. first level of exorcism. Um, but uh, yeah, it was really interesting. It was about thirty pages long. It had all the different prayers and stuff like that. I'll uh, I'll let you borrow it there sometime. Yeah. No, I'm gonna order one. Awesome. definitely go to order one well next uh next episode we're hoping to have a local nova scotia author on uh <laughs> don't want to give any details because plans can change yet but uh, <laughs> yeah. stay tuned and uh, i think you'll find the next one interesting it'll have uh, uh it'll be heavy on the local flavor for sure yeah definitely will so stay tuned all right till next time the Dueling Parapsychologist Podcast, an educational and entertaining podcast with Canadian parapsychologist Elliot Van Dusen and Daryl Walsh. To reach out to the Dueling Parapsychologists, see our Facebook page, Twitter and Instagram accounts or email us directly at info at ppri.net.